What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. We kick off today's show with the progressive political upset in Chicago. The Windy City has a new mayor, Brandon Johnson, and he's not an establishment candidate. He's a labor one. In fact, one of his primary campaign platforms was Reimagine Public Safety. Here to talk about Mayor Johnson, his campaign, and what this may mean for Chicago is Tiffany Walden, editor-in-chief of the Tribe, an independent digital media platform based in Chicago. Good morning, Tiffany. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I, I think it's best to start with the conditions in the streets of Chicago that set the stage for this race, uh, walking us through, please, the exploding homeless population. I mean, even encampments inside of the airport, um, almost 800 homicides last year. And third piece of this is I don't want to skip over the betrayal black folks have felt the last few years by outgoing Mayor Lori Lightfoot. So let's start there with the material conditions. For sure. Um, here in Chicago, I know that the, uh, the the world constantly is talking about crime and violence in Chicago, but the thing is, here on the ground, communities have been grossly divested in over the last several decades. Um, I myself grew up on the west side of Chicago where um, the King uprisings happened after his assassination in 1968. And my, uh, my neighborhood still looks exactly the same from 1968. And so in our communities in Chicago, we have, um, you know, uh, disparities around poverty. We have disparities around uh, life expectancy. You know, on the south and west sides, black folks um, have a much lower life expectancy than people downtown or in, a, in certain neighborhoods on the north side of Chicago. So there is this tale of two cities that is happening and playing out here in Chicago every single day. And uh, what Brandon Johnson's win in Chicago means for the city is that people are tired of seeing the same um, quote-unquote solutions be thrown at the problem. People want to see um, the root causes of violence addressed, which means they want to see... Um, poverty address. They want to see equal access to jobs, equal access to housing. Um, you know, years ago, so many of our public housing uh, complexes were torn down and people were forced out. And uh, there were promises to um, give those people um, affordable housing. And that never came to fruition. So there's so many people that have been um, harmed by institutional um and systematic uh, racism here in the city done by our government. And people want to see a change and they want to see something unique happen. And, and Brandon's win shows that. I don't want to skip over uh, um, outgoing Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Um, we covered the her allowance of a brutal response to the rebellions of 2020. We covered mm -hmm. her betrayal of the teachers, right, and and public mm -hmm. school system. If you could just talk a little bit about some of the thousand cuts over her term that contributed to folks being done with her, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. When when Mayor Lightfoot was elected, there was so much um, conversation nationally and even within Chicago of people heriting her as a progressive. And the thing is, Mayor Lightfoot is not a progressive. <laughs> you know, like Mayor Lightfoot uh, ran a campaign in 2019 saying that she was not um, in favor of the police academy here in Chicago, the cop academy that organizes, youth organizes, 
um, you know, multi-generational organizers fought hard um, to, 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 um, to not see built here in Chicago. She said initially that she was against that and then got right into office and, and ch- championed it. And, and in fact, she raised the budget for it. She increased the budget for it. Um, and during her tenure, we, we recently just saw her um, do a ribbon cutting for the same cop academy. Um, right. During the uh, pandemic, where there were black and brown people who were um, disproportionately impacted by COVID um, and and disproportionately passing away from COVID, we saw Mayor Lightfoot stand in the middle of the West Side and and chastise people and tell them, you know, hey, we will arrest you, (laughs) you know? And meanwhile, in other parts of the city where people have access to resources, they're able to go to their parks. They're able to go to different areas and still, um, you know, not feel so isolated or depressed during the pandemic. And on the West Side, you know, we didn't have those same uh, resources. Um, and then again, during the uprisings in 2020, we saw Mayor Lightfoot raise the bridges on people. You know, we saw Mayor Lightfoot support uh, the police department that was brutalizing organizers who were peacefully protesting. Um, so there were a lot of situations with Mayor Lightfoot, not even to mention uh, her um, constant um, bumping of heads with CTU and the teachers here in Chicago. Um, there were so many instances where people wanted to see this progressive life with that she said that she was going to be, and we just never saw that here. And and still, right, so black and, and, and brown folks wouldn't be enough probably to oust an establishment candidate. What, what about white folks? What, what was their response to her tenure? And then we're going to move on to Brandon Johnson. My last question about Lori, I promise. <laughs> for sure. Uh, a lot of uh, of the white liberals and, and white progressives here in Chicago, they also voted for Brandon Johnson. Um, and I think that speaks a lot to the changes that they want to see as well. Now, of course, there are um, sections of Chicago that, um, you know, have in the past voted for Trump and have in the past voted for some of the Republican uh, MAGA um, candidates that have popped up for governor and all of these things. So those sections of White Chicago did vote for Paul Vallis, um, and they voted for Paul Vallis in order to oust Lightfoot as well. Um, but I think, you know, Lightfoot just really didn't have a pathway to winning when, you know, she had upset the um, lakefront liberals. She upset the, um, the the white wealthy folks. She upset the, the white people that wanted to see more police. You know, she just really didn't have a lane, um, whereas Paul Vallis had. Um, the people that wanted to see more policing and wanted to see more um, policing of, of, uh, of communities in Chicago. And so, yeah, she, she just really, she lost everyone. <laughs> I, I haven't really seen a mayor that uh, didn't have a friend in the police department, didn't have a friend in the teachers, didn't have a friend in the, um, in the entrepreneurial and business community. You know, she, she really lost everyone during her tenure. All right, I'm, I'm going to ask you a little bit more about Paul Vallis in a second, but let's let's start with who is Mayor Brandon Johnson and what was the political trajectory that got him to a mayoral, a mayoral run? Yes, for sure. So uh, Brandon Johnson uh, comes out of um, the vein of teachers here in Chicago. He is a former teacher, um, has taught in Cabrini Green, which is one of the communities where a lot of black people were forced out of the community because the public housing and things were torn down. Um, and Brandon Johnson also kind of rose the ranks within the uh, Chicago Teachers Union. And so uh, through 
organizing, really. And I think organizers deserve a lot of credit, and they haven't been given that nationally. Organizers here in Chicago have been uh, leading this conversation on, you know, um, homelessness and how we need to address the root causes of homelessness. They've been leading the conversation on on defund and have and making people have this nuanced conversation about, you know, what really uh, reduces crime and what are some solutions to crime. And so, without the organizers in Chicago really championing those different things, um, even going back to twenty um, twenty. I think it was 2018 or, or 2019 when the organizers ousted um, a state's attorney, Anita Alvarez, and they ousted our uh, police chief and they ousted Rahm Emanuel after um, we saw the corruption uh, that was going on with the Laquan McDonald um, case. You know, these people are leading conversations and, and Brandon Johnson's candidacy would not have been possible without them. So many of Brandon's talking points around investing in people and that safe cities around the country uh, invest in people. Um, his his uh, championing of Bring Home Chicago, which is um, an initiative to take some of the um, real estate tax and transfer that to address homelessness. Um, Brandon also is championing another organizer effort, which is Treatment Not Trauma, which um, organizers are trying to get more um, um, mental health counselors to respond to uh, police calls that are mental health crises calls. All of those things are grassroots movement um, political points. And Brandon came in as a candidate that was that was able to really dive into that and and be the candidate of the people. Um, so his 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 candidacy really was a multiracial and multi generational coalition of labor and community organizers. And um, in his uh, during his tenure, you know, we're all looking forward to seeing um, the ways that he uniquely addresses housing and health care and other social justice, justice issues that, um, you know, that dates back to the late Karen Lewis and um, CT, the, our CTU leader uh, who passed away years ago. So, um, yeah, we're just interested to see how this goes. I think the labor angle here is is interesting and critical to talk about, uh, particularly the Chicago Teachers Union and how they've been engaged in power and base building over the last decade. You mentioned Rahm Emanuel. I mean, part of the betrayal was the the school closure stuff. Talk about their decision, right, to to get engaged and run political candidates and how that then has benefited uh, the incoming mayor. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's a, a beautiful piece that our reporter, uh, Tonya Hill, did, um, and it's listed on thetribe.com for more information. Um, but the CTU, um, you know, this has been um, a process in the making for years, uh, going back to the 2012 uh, strike, for instance, where uh, the Chicago Teachers Union decided that in order to really address some of the, the issues that's happening um, within the community and within the schools, we have to talk about the, the social justice uh, issues that are going on. So they, they made sure to champion um, homelessness when they were talking about contract negotiations. Um, they wanted to talk about uh, poverty. They wanted to talk about um, policing. You know, they really started to bring some of these um, organizer uh, fights into uh, their labor discussions uh, with the mayor's office. And that is what um, helped turn the CTU into um, a a political body. And I know that a lot of people during this um, 
2023 election uh, tried to paint the CTU as a uh, as a villain, um, as a as a group that doesn't have the the interests of um, the best interests of the, the the students and things at heart. But what the CTU was really advocating for is every student should have a place to live. You know, there's a lot of Chicago uh, public school students who don't have um, a home that they go to every night. Uh, they may have a parent who is incarcerated. They may um, live in uh, areas that are divested in or experiencing um, high levels of poverty. Uh, and so in order for a student to be able to come to school and learn, those things have to be addressed um, so that they can be in an environment where they can be fully present. And the pandemic showed us that um, and uh, like they, it magnifies that issue because, uh, you know, teachers were able to, um, you know, see conditions that students are, are living in just from them, you know, being on Zoom. So I don't think that um, people give the CTU uh, the proper credit of, you know, really moving these conversations about um, having healthy communities and healthy schools into the mainstream com- mainstream political conversation. Right. You you said in your last uh, answer, Tiffany Walden, you know, folks are, are eager to see how his tenure plays out. One of the things that I was excited about was a conversation that, that we've been having uh, here in Oakland for, for a minute. I From my candidacy for mayor in 2018 into Councilmember Carol Fife's uh, candidacy. She's currently uh, Councilmember in District 3. And this is this idea of co-governance. And I, I saw that Mayor Brandon Johnson has, has spoken about that. Can you talk about what that could look like in his administration, how you keep the people engaged? Because a lot of times what we do is we run our folks, right? We ask them to take the hits of being that progressive voice uh, in the public eye, which we know in this day and age comes with all sorts of dangers and attacks. Um, how, how are folks going to stay engaged? So I think one of the the, the- the interesting things that unfolded during Brandon Johnson's run for mayor was these house parties. Um, and so one of the things that anyone who was interested in, in meeting Brandon Johnson, anyone who was interested in their friends meeting Brandon Johnson, or anyone who just wanted to talk to him about some of his platform, uh, they were able to host these house parties, uh, which is, you know, kind of a, a, a cultural thing here in Chicago anyway, is having house parties. Um, people hosted them and brought Brandon Johnson into their space. So it was this intimate setting that people were really getting to know Brandon and feel like Brandon was actually listening and responding and talking to them. And so in those spaces, you know, Brandon may do a debate um, the night before and then go into a house party and the people in the room would say, well, you know, um, Mr. Johnson, I didn't like the way you said this. Or Mr. Johnson, I think that, you know, it would be better if you say this in this way or approach this from this angle. And so you really saw um, during his candidacy this sort of, of, of world building together with the community of what does a better place for Chicago look like. And I think that, you know, as he is inaugurated in, in May and as he, you know, does his first 100 days um, of tackling um homelessness and um and tackling the uh, treatment of trauma ordinance and things like that i think you will start to see um a lot more people in the community being invested in what's going on in city hall on the fifth floor paying attention to 
um, government in Chicago, you know, during this election and our coverage, we heard so many people say this is the first time I've known every single thing about an election in Chicago, like, <laughs> like period. So mm-hmm. people are really invested in it. And this is the first time that we will see, um, you know, some grassroots ideas that a, a lot of people said were impossible. It, you know, 10 years ago, it was impossible to even have a conversation around reallocating funds of CPD or, or around, That's you know, right. having mental health crisis, uh, mental health counselors respond to 911 calls. That was impossible 10 years ago. So now we're able to even have those conversations and the community can come in and we can all have, um, you know, some sort of uh, conversation with Mr. Johnson about how do we bring some of these ideas to fruition. Here in in Oakland, we too had a progressive political upset with the election of Mayor Sheng Tao, and we are watching the groups and corporations that were attached to the former mayor, uh, Libby Schaff, grasping at straws and gasping for air is how I've been framing it. How has the establishment, uh, the old guard, reacted to Johnson's victory, and particularly, right, the police association there in Chicago? You know, I can't speak for, for everyone. Um, the police, I can't, especially the police department, they're so guarded uh, that, that you really don't know what each and every individual is thinking. So I don't want to unfairly, um, you know, paint them in a certain light. But I will say that the Fraternal Order of Police um, leader, John Cantanzara, uh, who was well known for his racist uh, comments and um, ideologies around policing, uh, he didn't like it. You know, he didn't like that Brandon Johnson uh, won the mayor's seat. He even said that there would be blood in the streets if Brandon Johnson wins, that the police department will uh, just quit the next day. Um, and so, you know, those type of people who were really behind Paul Vallis, um, I think they're uh, experiencing quite the upset. I think they, you know, on election night, people really thought, Paul Vallis was going to take this home. And I think um, what ended up happening on election night was it put the not only Chicago's um, politics on notice, but it put the, the National uh, Democratic Party on notice that, you know, people are in this country, people are ready to start talking about crime and violence in a very different way. People are ready to see some gun control. People are ready to see, um, you know, uh, neighborhoods, invested in and, and black and brown communities and marginalized communities have resources that they invested in. Uh, this whole idea about law and order, which was Paul Vallis's whole campaign, the people rejected that. And Chicago, as we like, we know Chicago is one of the cities that the world looks at um, as a leader in uh, a, a, a variety of, of uh, categories, including politics. So I think that, um, that as a country, uh, we're ready to have a, a different conversation, a more nuanced conversation about public safety. And in Chicago, uh, we'll be leading that conversation and reimagining what public safety looks like. I, I never, um, we work very closely uh, with Chairman Fred Hampton Jr. and the Black Panther Party Clubs, my organization, the Anti-Police Terror Project, and I never want to miss an opportunity to say this is the police department, however, that regularly defaces the grave of Chairman Fred Hampton Sr., uh, mm-hmm. riddling his gravestone with with, with bullets. Um, that mm-hmm. is the tone tenor mentality uh, of CPD, so this is going to be... Um, it's going to be interesting, and, and Oakland definitely looks forward to to continuing this conversation with Chicago, which we see as a sister city to to, to this work. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, there was 
at his, his celebration speech and also, you know, throughout in, in the beginning of your article, the talk of this, a continuation of the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King. Talk, talk about that. I want to end on the, the hopeful note. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you know, 55 years ago, um, Dr. Martin Luther King was uh, assassinated in Memphis. And prior to um, Martin Luther King's uh, death, he lived in Chicago. He lived on the west side of Chicago where uh, Mary like Brandon Johnson lives with his family today. Um, Dr. Martin Luther King saw Chicago as an opportunity to bring that type of hope um, to black America, to, to come here and see a city that's so racially segregated, to see a city where it's black people are mistreated, um, living in poverty. Uh, there's a wage, uh, a huge wage gap here in the city. That was, this was in 1966. These things are still present today. Um, but Dr. King came to Chicago and tried to, to use Chicago as a way for people to see that this is what it's like to live in black America. And so, you know, it's not lost on any of us that, that the 2023 election uh, took place on April 4th, the, the 55th anniversary of King's death. Um, it's not lost on us that it's also 40 years uh, since uh, uh, Harold Washington was elected to this seat here in Chicago. And so uh, we're really in this, um, in this line of black liber- liberatory movement with uh, Brandon Johnson's win. And it goes, like you mentioned the Black Panthers, it even goes back to the Black Panthers in the 1960s of, you know, they were championing, um, you know, control of police. And Chicago has that now. We have the police district councils that we just elected for the first time here in Chicago. So from 1960s with Dr. King, with the Black Panthers fighting for police control, we're seeing all of these things start to come to fruition today. And I think it's a, um, to leave on a positive note, I think that it's a, uh, uh, an opportunity for us to just keep fighting. I know that, you know, when things don't happen immediately, uh, sometimes we get discouraged. Sometimes we're, we're over the fight because, you know, we didn't, we didn't win in that moment, but we're seeing wins from uh, a journey that, that's from the 1960s and even beyond that. And, um, and yeah, for me, for me, that's encouraging. You know, this election cycle has really been us seeing uh, the movement and the organizing of our ancestors, uh, you know, really come to light. And I think um, we'll continue to see that throughout Brandon's tenure. Tiffany Walden, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Hope you'll come back on the show again soon. Thank you so much. For sure. Thank you. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.